This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by the Leader Score Assessment, a simple tool to evaluate the health of your leadership. Find out more at leadtowin slash leaderscore. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt-Miller. And this is Lead to Win, the weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And in this episode, we're talking about failure and how to learn from it. hate failing <laughs> don't you I, I do yeah i i like winning yeah I, I, <laughs> winning's my favorite given the choice <laughs> i would choose winning unfortunately it's pretty common and we're all gonna do it and that doesn't change the fact that it's super frustrating and irritating when it happens in fact it can even be um discouraging and humiliating i know i often have felt that way when i've been in that situation and you know, maybe this is just kind of how I'm uniquely wired. But when I have a big failure, it can really create a sense of self doubt. And I can kind of go into, you know, what I have, uh, or what my husband affectionately calls my doom loop, you know, where it becomes like global, a sense of global self doubt. Um, And it can be really hard. But I think the the antidote to that is instead of um, kind of making it personal is really remembering that there are important lessons that only failure can teach us that we need and to learn those lessons that failure can actually kind of become a friend in a way. Well, that's right. And and what we're not going to be talking about in this episode is how to avoid failure. Right. Because you're going to have failure. And until you can learn to process failure in a healthy way, you can't deal with it in a powerful way. And so we want to get explicit about it. We've got Larry here with us today. Larry, welcome. Hey, Larry. Hey, guys. I want to sort of prove the thesis right off the bat, which is that you can learn from setbacks and failures if you'll allow yourself to. So give me an example. What have you learned from a failure? Yeah, well, I could draw on a number of examples, and that's probably true for all of us. But one that comes to mind uh, is last year, we decided to expand a certain part of our business. And we had been searching for a while for the right person to kind of lead that initiative. And we thought that we found just the right person. And we, uh, as we've talked about many times in the podcast, have a very thorough hiring process. And he had done really well throughout all the the parts of the process. Um, but one of the things that we do is that we use an assessment called the Colby uh, assessment, and that's spelled K-O-L-B-E if you're interested to look it up. Um, and the thing is, is that it um, it basically helps you to assess the right uh, fit of a person within an organization and, and particularly within their position. You know, are they naturally hardwired to perform well in the role? Well, um, this person came to us very highly recommended, um, had many wonderful accomplishments in his past, um, but he didn't quite meet the criteria that this test outlined. And um, anyway, as a result, I consulted uh, with Colby about it and I said, you know, I just, I just really feel like he's the right person you know? Um, but I don't, I don't know that these things are matching up, you know, the assessments. And, and so we started talking about it. And basically what I didn't realize at the time, but what I was doing was I was engaging them in kind of <laughs> enabling me to rationalize the wrong hire. And I, you know, just for a number of reasons, thought he was the right guy, really, really liked him. And 
unfortunately, he got in the role and um, what was true on the test turned out to be true in real life. And he was just not the right fit for the role, even though he's a fantastic guy that we really liked. And as a result, there were major financial consequences to that. You know, the growth that we had projected in this new part of our business that we were expanding into just didn't happen. And it was so disappointing. And the worst thing about it was it was my own failure. You know, I thought I was smarter than the test, which (laughs) as a general rule is not a great strategy. Um, And I got the opportunity to learn some painful lessons. And, you know, I think uh, the only thing that makes me feel better about that is that there are lessons to be learned that I can take with me. And that will be kind of the gift that keeps on giving um, even beyond the failure. So I'm heartened by that, but it was a painful lesson. Well, failure will make you a better leader if you make the decision that you've made, which is to learn from it. That's what we're talking about today. So we want to share six actions you can take to learn from a failure or setback in your business life or even in your personal life. And so the first one is acknowledge the failure. Yeah, this sounds simple, but it's harder than it looks because I think our tendency is to gloss over it to try to make it better than it was or better than it is. And it's a little bit like trying to put lipstick on a pig. You know, it's still going to be a pig. And at some point, you just kind of have to declare that there was a failure. And that's not being negative. You know, that's being just honest with the situation. And so I think that as leaders, we've got to to be able to do that. And I think it's especially important if we're going to have integrity with our teams, that when something crashes and burns, when something's a setback or a failure, first of all, everybody else knows it, right? And so by trying to deny it or ignore it or hope that nobody else notices, you know, that's not healthy for the organization. You want to build into your team resilience and resilience starts by acknowledging the failure. And it's important for your team. It's important for yourself. Failing to acknowledge failure has consequences for the organization, as you just pointed out. What about for the individual? What does it do inside of you when you don't acknowledge your own failures? Well, I mean, I think you know you're kind of lying to yourself. You know, it, it creates a an internal conflict around what obviously happened and what you're telling yourself about what happened, um, which, you know, you kind of undermine trust with yourself. Um, confidence. Yeah, your own confidence. You don't have the kind of insight and visibility that you need to make better choices in the future. I mean, it's kind of nothing but bad. I, I think another ha- thing happens with acknowledging it and saying it out loud is it kind of takes the scope the, the bigness of the failure out of it, yeah, it, it enables you to better uh, contextualize it and, and give it the right proportion because most of the failures that we have in life are not catastrophic. You know, they're recoverable. That's true. And in fact, I would say you, I've observed this in your life, you've made it through every failure that you've ever <laughs> experienced. And a lot yep. of the same thing true for you. You know, you're sitting here today, you've lived through every failure you've ever experienced. And the same is true for me. And so I think it helps us by saying it out loud. Yeah. You know, it's it's only ultimately a failure if we don't acknowledge it and don't move on from there. So action number one to learning from failures and setbacks is to acknowledge the failure. Action two, take full responsibility. This is a big one. You know, you 
you have to take responsibility because if you don't, um, you'll undermine others' trust in you. You'll undermine your trust in yourself. Um, and again, you won't have the opportunity to benefit from the lessons that, that can be learned that will enable you to not repeat those same mistakes later. Uh, the truth is that weak leaders blame other people for their failures and great leaders own their failures. You know, if you can think of historical examples or um, great leaders that you've personally known, that probably the moments of your greatest respect for them were when they took really hard responsibility for some kind of a failure at great cost to themselves. Well, you remind me of John Kennedy, who in a press conference the very day after the Bay of Pigs fiasco, he said, I'm the responsible officer of the government. He stood right up there and owned it. After a disastrous military operation, he took full responsibility. Such a great story. And I think that's because blame is disempowering. And if there's one thing you can't be as a great leader, it's it's disempowered, you know, and that taking ownership enables you to be empowered. It does. And it builds credibility with your team too. Mm-hmm. So when you take full full responsibility, obviously they're blaming you as the leader, so you might as well own it and accept it for yourself. Right. And, and the truth is, if you're the leader, you are responsible, mm-hmm. right? But you're only responsible if you retain your ability to respond. Mm-hmm. You know, if I if I give that over to the environment or the weather or blaming other people or whatever, that's not responsibility. I've taken away my own responsibility. I become the victim. And you can't be a victim and a leader at the same time. Those are mutually exclusive. You can be a leader or you can be a victim. You can't be both. That's really good. To learn from your failures and setbacks, first, acknowledge the failure. Second, take full responsibility. Third, mourn the failure. I want to say a word about this because I think it's easy, particularly for those of us who have been raised on motivational books and motivational talks and positive thinking and all the rest to kind of gloss over the whole thing and not give ourselves space to mourn. I can remember back in the early 90s, I was actually the mid 90s, I was fired by a very important client. And I mean, it was like a gut kick. I can remember the emotional impact and I can really feel it even to this day. And I remember for like two or three weeks, just kind of walking around in a stupor. I couldn't believe that this had happened to me. And I just had to mourn it. You know, I had to recognize that this was a loss and any loss takes time to heal. And it doesn't help if you try to try to bury it or gloss over it. It's just going to come up in unpredictable, unhealthy ways at a later time. So for me, and I, I mean, I give this advice to people, sometimes you just have to cry. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you just have to sit with yourself and be sad. Yep. And that's okay. It doesn't mean you're going to be sad forever. It doesn't going to mean you lose control of yourself and weep forever. But it does mean, in fact, I would say that helps you process the emotion of it mm-hmm. and helps you uh, recognize the loss for for what it is. I think that's a really important point because uh, I was actually talking about this in therapy last week now that I'm thinking about it. Just as a leader. Wait, you're in therapy? Totally. Good Are you? Me. Aren't you in therapy? I'm not right now. Okay. Therapy is great. It is. I'm so grateful for it. <laughs> I've done it on, on and off for a long, long time. But anyway, I uh, I was talking just about kind of the pressure of being a leader. And one of the things that I think um, leaders face is there's a need to kind of have a lid 
on your emotions all the time because you have to be professional. You know, you kind of right. have to be the steadying force. And that doesn't mean you don't have emotions. It just means that you can't give expression to them necessarily in every situation that you're in. It wouldn't be appropriate. Um, but if you never give expression to them when it is appropriate, for example, like in private or, you know, with people that are, are your peers, um, it's really, really tough. And if you try to, you know, just sort of metabolize failure after failure, and if you're taking a lot of risks and uh, you have a, a company that's growing or a role that's growing, you're going to you're gonna fail plenty. It can almost feel like it's imploding in you. And you've got to be able to get that out and process it so you can not only learn from it, but just kind of stay in a healthy emotional state of not having so much stuff stuck inside of you. I want to go back to therapy for a second because we kind of made a light of it. But I think it's really important, mm-hmm. particularly if you're in a time of transition or a time of real change, or you've ha- if you've had a setback, you need somebody that's professional grade that can help you process that mm-hmm. so that you deal with it in a healthy way and so that it doesn't come back in unhealthy ways to bite you. That's right. And I've tried to do that, or I've done that at various points in my career, and it's been enormously helpful. It's been... Uh, I think the secret to me being as resilient as I've been is I've had somebody to help me to think through it so that I can regain my uh, sense of perspective, my equilibrium, and get moving forward again and not stay stuck in the past. Would you say that acknowledging the failure and mourning it help you move beyond it? Or does the mourning, I mean, is there danger of getting stuck there? I don't think the danger is in getting stuck if you mourn. I think the danger is in getting stuck if you don't mourn. Mm-hmm. There may be some exceptions to that. I'm not a psychologist. But I, I've seen a lot more problems from people trying to gloss it over than people who actually mourn it. Well, then it can kind of come out sideways, yeah. you know, where you double down on your ambition or you try to medicate in ways that are unhealthy. Those kinds of things can happen. And that's what you don't want to have happen. You want to, exactly. you know, move through it. Hey, everybody, Mike Boyer here. How would you like to get up to the minute updates from Michael and Megan, plus advance notice of new products, special offers, and even a few vacation photos? Just follow them on Instagram. Search for at Michael Hyatt and at Meg H. Miller. Instagram is also a great place to engage. And yes, they do read your comments and frequently respond. Don't forget to check out today's show notes for a complete list of resources mentioned in this episode, plus an episode summary, complete transcript, and downloadable audio file. Get all that at lead2.win. Now, back to the program. Let's move to the fourth action you can take to learn from your setbacks and failures, and that is, well, obviously enough, to learn from the experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you definitely want to get there. But again, I would caution people about getting there too quickly. I think this goes much better if you've had a chance to mourn it and process the emotion of it. And I think as we're helping people on our team process failure, we got to be sure that we give them space to to mourn it, and then we can kind of help them turn the corner. But I'm just speaking from experience, you can try to do that too fast. What did you learn from that? You know, it just happened yesterday, okay? I'm still trying to, right. you know, kind of assess it. You know, Nothing will make space. me want to punch somebody in the face more than that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't rush me. <laughs> That's true. And and there's some questions we can ask ourselves, and we've used this question many times in this podcast, but what was it about my leadership that produced this result? And in fairness, I want to credit uh, Eileen Meething from Gap International who gave me that question. Powerful question. What was it about my leadership that produced this result? Here's another one. What does this make possible, especially in my personal growth? You know, most of the bad experiences I've had in my life, including my my business failure, I wouldn't want to trade 
that experience for anything in the world. Yeah. I also wouldn't want to repeat it. But that yeah. doesn't mean I didn't learn right. from it. I learned some of the most important lessons I ever learned. That's one you have to, by the way, be really careful not to ask too soon. Yes. That'll get you punched in the face too. (laughs) Here's another one. I like to ask what is missing rather than what's wrong. Mm -hmm. Because what's wrong has a whole layer of- Feels kind of blamey. Blamey, yeah. Yeah. But to ask, you know, what was missing, you know, that's, that's something I can be more objective about. What can I learn from this experience? Be specific. This is why I journal. And I actually have this question in, in the journal. What did I learn? How can this learning make me a better leader? And even how can this learning make our company stronger? So this reminds me a little bit of the after action review that we often use with our coaching clients. Maybe that would be a good resource to just explain a little bit about. Yeah. So we go through a process when we have an event, when we have a major initiative where we go through an after action review, which is something we learned from the United States Army. And they have a very formal process with this, but here's what it looks like for us. So we've boiled it down to what we call the KISS methodology. But it's not KISS like you normally think of it, like keep it simple, stupid. Mm -hmm. This one is, what do I want to keep doing? In other words, out of this experience, there are probably some things that were good that I want to keep doing. So that's the K. Then the I stands for, what do I want to improve? So there were some things that we did that were okay, but we want to improve them next time we go through this. And then the first S stands for start. What do I want to start doing that I didn't do it? Next time we do this initiative, next time we do this, we do this project, here's what we want to start doing. And then what do we want to stop doing? What do we never want to repeat again or never, never do in the future? So that kind of after action review gives you an opportunity with a very um, kind of formal process to work through it, make sure you think through all aspects of it. And like a lemon, squeeze as much juice out of it as you can. Mm-hmm. I'd like to point out too for users of the Full Focus Planner, this is built right into the weekly preview. It is. What worked and what didn't, tough question to answer some weeks. And then what am I going to do differently Mm -hmm. in the future? Yep. I love that. It's also built into the quarterly preview, which happens at the end, end of the planner. Well, let's move to action number five that you can take to learn from setbacks and failures. And that is to change your behavior. This is so important. You know, it kind of goes back to my example that I gave at the beginning of the show uh, about the hiring. I had another situation come up just this last week. We're hiring for another position, and we've had a really hard time finding candidates. We've had a lot of candidates that have applied, but we haven't had any candidates yet that have applied with the Colby score I mentioned with with a Colby score that matches the position. And so the the conversation internally this week was like, well, maybe the score's wrong. Maybe we should reevaluate it. And, and I was like, no, 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 no. I've seen this movie before. It doesn't end well. Let's don't do that again. You know? And so I, I think the lesson is uh, you know, to be patient, to trust the process, to trust the science behind that, because the truth is we've had so many phenomenal hires um, with that being part of our process. And you know, here presented with an, an almost identical situation to the one that I failed at, you know, I need to put that uh, those lessons to work and make the changes necessary to not repeat my failures again. It's kind of amazing how tempting it is to repeat the same mistake. Right. It is. And I think that's why if we're not self-aware, if we're not deliberate, if we don't go through a very specific process like we're outlining here, we might repeat it again. And And we all have friends like this who just can't seem to get out of their own way. They keep repeating the same old things. And it's like, how many times... Do you have to go through this before you're going to learn? And I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like when I touch a hot stove, 
you know, I learned. And some of the things I've gone through have been so painful that I never want to repeat those again. And so you've got to change your behavior. Otherwise, you're going to keep getting the same result. I'm reminded of the quote by George Santayana, who said, those who cannot learn from history are destined to repeat it. We could say leaders who cannot learn from their mistakes Mm -hmm. are destined to repeat them. Let's move to the sixth and final step in learning from setbacks and failures, and we'll review all six of the steps in just a minute. But enter wholeheartedly into the next project. Why is this so important? This is why you've got to process failure, because failure dings your confidence. And when you're less confident, you're less likely to be ambitious and to dream big. And you want to be able to enter into the next project, not only with a big dream and a big goal, but you want to give it your all. You don't want to be holding yourself back. It's a little bit like if you've ever had an injury and then you tend to favor that injury and not give yourself fully, you know, like like even to this day, because I broke my ankle falling down some steps. You know, when I go down steps, I'm very aware that I could fall. So I always grab the railing when I walk down steps. We don't want to be always grabbing the railing you know, when you're pressing forward in life and taking on the next project. You know, you want to have full confidence, be able to give uh, expression to your ambition and really tackle it full on. Another story, when I was a kid, my dad uh, bought me a pony. And uh, have I ever told you this story, Megan? I don't think so. Okay. And so uh, I think I only like wrote it a couple of times, but so we went out to my uncle's house where the pony was and they put me in in a freshly plowed field where the the dirt was, you know, soft and everything. And so they put me on the horse. And of course, the horse ran out from under me and I fell right on my butt. And wasn't hurt, but I was crying. You know, I must have been five or six years old. And my dad picked me up and put me right back on the horse. And that's how you want it to be for you. You want to get back on the horse. And that's the value of doing a process like this. Even if it feels a little bit formal or formulaic, but to go through the process because you want to be, get back on that horse and be able to ride it with confidence. So you literally have a story about getting back on the horse. <laughs> literally. Have a How story. many people can say that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe, I'm old enough, maybe it originally started with me. <laughs> the other thing to remember is we're, we're thinking about having processed failure and now we're going to go try something again um, with that kind of in our history is that it can really make us cautious. It can make us feel fearful, kind of almost like PTSD. You know, this is why, again, like you said, it's so important to process it um, because the fear can creep in and it can, can pull us back just at the moment when we need to let the reins out, actually. Um, when, you know, our business depends on our courage, you know, we remember that failure all of a sudden in the back of our mind or in our memory, and we kind of like, you know, hit the brakes. And that's just not what we want to do. Usually, fear is not going to lead us to make good decisions. If it makes us wise and aware of things that maybe previously we wouldn't have, have thought to contingency plan around, that can be good. Um, but we're, if we're truly living out of fear, we're not going to be able to wholeheartedly engage in the next project. And that's what we want to avoid. And it's something to be alert to in yourself if you're, if you're far enough down the road where you have some failures in your history. Well, today we've learned that failure isn't fatal, especially for a leader, and you can learn from your failures and setbacks, grow from them, and profit from them if you will allow yourself to do that. Six actions that will help you 
One, acknowledge the failure. Two, take full responsibility. Three, mourn the failure. Four, learn from the experience. Five, change your behavior. And six, enter wholeheartedly into the next project. So helpful, guys. Thank you for that. Any final thoughts to add here? It's easy to think that the the kind of goal of leadership is to never fail. And wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> um, but so often our failures hold the seeds of our greatest successes. I know that's been true in my life. Dad, I think that's probably been true in your true. life. And while we never would want to repeat our most painful failures, um, I think most of us can look back with gratitude and, and be thankful for the opportunity to learn in those situations and, and see a direct relationship between those failures and what we've been able to accomplish now because of what we learned. Hard things are really underrated. And yet I think if we think of the people that we really admire, the people that we really respect, the people that really make the biggest impact in the world, they're not the people that are the sudden successes or just famous. They're people who've gone through really difficult times. Suffering is what perfects our our character. And failure is a is a form of suffering. It's a form of feedback that can not only inform our experience and our knowledge going forward, but can shape our character. And at the end of the day, it's the shape of our character that's going to have the biggest impact in the world, not what we know, uh, not what we create, but the very force of our character. And that doesn't come, that's not easily won. You know, that's going to come through setbacks. And so I, I just think we can't resent those things, but we have to be able to process them and use them uh, so that we can reach our full potential and become all that we were created to be. Well, Michael and Megan, very practical and inspiring advice today. Thank you for sharing. Thanks, Larry. Yeah, thank you, Larry. And thank you guys for joining us on Lead to Win. We invite you to join us next week for a new episode. Until then, Lead to Win. This episode of Lead to Win has been brought to you by the Leader Score Assessment, a simple tool to evaluate the health of your leadership. Find out more at lead2.win slash leaderscore.